Hey everybody, and welcome to Crime and Spirits Podcast, your one-stop shop for spooky stories, handcrafted cocktails, and all things true crime. I'm your host, Bree. And I am your other host, Seuss. I'm also the resident bartender here at Crime and Spirits. Because not only do we bring you a new case or topic of interest every week, but we also teach you a little something about mixology along the way. I mix up a drink that ties in in some way with our theme for the week and then walk you through how to make one for yourself so you can sip right along with us. We've been friends for years and one of our favorite things to do is mix up something delicious and throw on a true crime documentary, which is basically what this podcast has become. It is, however, better research than that. (laughs) We promise. Cross our hearts. (laughs) We also have a script written out that we mostly follow. Mostly. Still, you can expect some tangents here and there. We also managed to find a way to mention Criminal Minds at least once, if not multiple times, per episode. You gotta give Dr. Spencer Reed all the love. Yes, girl. And you also can't forget the cursing, because we definitely curse on this show. We try to keep things a little bit more conversational. Think less like Dateline and more like Girls' Night. Just replace the catty gossip with actual facts. And maybe just a little catty gossip. So come hang out with us, learn a little something with us every Sunday, and make sure to join us on Instagram or Facebook at Crime and Spirits Pod. That is the word and. We'd love to chat with you about, I mean, whatever, really, but mostly true crime. So buckle up, Buttercup. Sip tight. And let's get on with the show. Hello and welcome to Crime and Spirits. We're your hosts. My name is Bree. And I'm Suze. Thank you so much for hanging out with us today. We love spending time with you guys. It is the very biggest highlight of our whole week. It really is. And you guys, it's super exciting because while well, last week we celebrated our 50th episode, this week we're celebrating our one year anniversary. Officially almost down to the exact date yeah. type status. Our actual anniversary is Monday. Yes. April 10th. Yep. This will be releasing on Easter. Yes. So by the time you're actually probably listening to this, it'll probably be our one year anniversary. Because yeah. I mean, Easter and murder, I don't know. Right. <laughs> it was kind of funny. Our publishing platform I guess must send it out to all people that published in April. And they were yeah. like, happy one year anniversary. So we got all excited. And then I was like, wait, it wasn't <laughs> this early in April that we nope. started, was it? Nope, sure was not. <laughs> so happy one year. I'm, I'm loving it. It's super exciting. Thank we you, are. guys. Yeah, we appreciate all the listens. Yeah, it's been a wild ride. And I'm looking forward to the next year. Yes. Hopefully nowhere to go but up. Oh, absolutely. No, no hopefully about it. It's happening. We <laughs> had to manifest the shit out of <laughs> Hell it. Hell yeah. <laughs> uh, we had a really fun photo shoot earlier this week with our friend Jenna. Hey, girl. She is doing photography, Jenna Rose Photography. Catch her out on Instagram. Or Facebook. I think she's on Facebook as yeah. well. Yeah, mm-hmm. we're going to make sure that she's linked. Uh, we're not going to show you guys too many of the pictures when we first get them because we're saving a lot of it for fun surprises. But we're going to sneak peek some of them for you. We already we gave... Are you a little taste she sent us a couple and i was like these are just too good to hang on to any longer than right now so (laughs) exactly so really really excited it was it was really cool it was really fun working with jenna and we've known jenna for years and years so it it was pretty cool to get us all back in one spot again it had been years it's been a very long time (laughs) it was exciting i had a lot of fun which is good because this episode is not funny (laughs) Not at all. No. I was doing the research and it took me like forever to get it all finished. Yeah. Because it's 
not only is it multiple angles we're working with, but mm-hmm. it's multiple horrific things that are occurring. So Well, and then I didn't have the emotional bandwidth for much this week. For any of our like witchy woo-woo folks out there, it's the full moon. Mm-hmm. And it's been an emotional one. This one was all, it was in Libra, so it was all about emotional intelligence and well, shit. Trust and believe And it. relationships. I serve and- people food. Oh my gosh, I've been People get fucked it. up with food with the full moon. Yes. I don't know what it is, but... <laughs> it's just all the crazy vibrations and energy it that's is. out there. And the last couple full moons have been very, like... Serious? Emotionally <laughs> draining. Yeah. I heard that, girl. So today's episode, we're going to be diving into a serial killer duo known as the Toolbox Killers. So this little group was comprised of two men named Lawrence Bittaker and Roy Norris. They were extremely disturbed and deranged individuals. That's putting it very mildly. Yeah. And they were responsible for killing five teenage girls across a five-month period in the late 1970s. We are talking about a couple of psychopaths who got off on hurting young women and girls. They committed truly despicable acts of violence that, quite frankly, was hard to read. And I have a feeling it's going to be tough to talk about. So it's a really good thing that we've got drinks, as in plural, Mm -hmm. on deck for this one. Now, before we get into any of that, we've got a big flashing warning sign for y'all today. These men kidnapped, tortured, raped, and then brutally murdered several women. They were violent because they liked it, and they did terrible things because that's what they wanted to do. Now, if you've listened to us for a while, you know that we don't really like to dwell on the gorier aspects of what transpired in a lot of these cases. We do our best to give you all the pertinent information without getting too graphic. However, especially in this instance, unfortunately, that's not always easy to do. Yeah. What we're going to talk about during our time together today is truly awful. And to be completely transparent, this case wasn't really on our radar until someone requested it. And don't get me wrong. There are definitely interesting bits and pieces in this one. Absolutely. I'm not mad that someone asked us to cover it. I wasn't familiar with the case, so I definitely learned some shit. There's just a lot about this one that can be really triggering, and we just want to make sure that we give you guys the full disclosure before we move forward. So... Before we go any further, let's get those drinks made because you're definitely going to need them. You sure are. So, as we mentioned, we're talking about some real bad mamma jammas this week. These dudes honestly scared the fuck out of me just reading about them on paper. So, the fact that they were walking this earth at some point makes me feel crazy. Mm -hmm. Um, However, since our episode is releasing on Easter this week, rather than go dark... We're going bright and fun and festive. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Some things are just too dark to try and tie together. Oh, yeah. This is one of those instances. Next week, I might try and get a little more on theme. Mm -hmm. But for now, (laughs) we're doing a sangria and a shot. So I'm actually making the sangria for my family for Easter. I usually make dessert, but my sister, being the overachiever that she is, (laughs) she is wonderful. She has all the bases covered (laughs) this year. So I asked her what I could bring. She suggested a drink. So here we are. I also saw a little bunny shot idea on a Facebook bartender group that I'm a part of. And I thought, not only is that adorable, (laughs) but it's going to taste hella good. Yes. So I couldn't decide between the two dealing with the subject matter we're dealing with. I figured (laughs) we're going to double down. She texted me and she's like, hey, do you think this would be okay? And I was like, a thousand times yes. Yes. (laughs) 
Let's have a little light fun before we get into the heavy stuff. Absolutely. So to start with, we're tackling the sangria. It's a um, rosé sangria. Mm -hmm. So this recipe will make six servings. So it's a good one to take the ingredients to a get-together and mix it up when you arrive on scene. It does call for limoncello, so obviously I was in like Flynn. Uh, We love limoncello. Right. Um, We are also adding a rosé champagne and some pre-mixed lemonade. Sangrias also call for fruit as a general rule. So I hit up Aldi for some raspberries and some strawberries that didn't break the bank. They also look really pretty and they taste really great. I like sangrias because pretty much anything goes. You put wine of some type with some juice and some fruit and bam deliciousness i have prepped um for today i thinly sliced two lemons and quartered the strawberries other than that you literally just put everything in a pitcher ah easy peasy it's amazing and i love it so we grabbed our crime and spirits pitcher we added three quarters of a cup of limoncello we are using the caravella brand which is our go-to because it's delicious so good next up add one cup of prepared lemonade i actually bought strawberry lemonade because we are putting strawberries in it and it's Mm. pink so it was very on brand with all of this (laughs) um and then add half of the raspberries strawberries and lemon wheels straight into the pitcher take your whole bottle of rosé champagne we're using um corbel which still by the way (laughs) had a coupon at wine and spirits in case you're interested Just pour the whole thing right in there. Stir it lightly. You don't want to get too aggressive with your mixing with something bubbly in there because it foams up. Bad news bears. Next up, just put some ice and some berries in your glassware. We did a rocks glass and a wine glass to see what we liked better. We couldn't decide. It looks good in both. It does. So whatever you use, you're winning. Put some berries in there. Pour the sangria right over it. Add a lemon wheel to your glass and serve. It's so good. And it's easy. It's so good. I love a good sangria. You really can't go wrong. You just put it all in a big pitcher, give it a stir, put some fruit in, and wham, bam. Well, and sangrias are really great if you get gifted wine, like I often do, which I love wine. I'm not complaining. But if you get gifted a wine that you're not going to drink just by the glass, sangrias are a perfect solution for it. Absolutely. And it's good. Like I said, I'm taking it to Easter. There's Mm going to be five of us about right there. This one's really light and refreshing too. It was very springy to me. Yeah, it is. Very much so. It would also be good in the summer, I think. Yeah. No, this is a good one. I like it. It's really good. Like I said, you had me at limoncello. Everything else Mm. is good, but the limoncello is what It's just the best. Right? Um, So next up, we're doing our little bunny shots. For these, you will need two of those hollow chocolate Easter bunnies. Think Dollar Tree. Mm, yeah. You'll see them all over the place. Yep. Although it, I did go today, not for the bunnies, but <laughs> wow, is it picked over. Oh, I like, believe it. Like overturned empty boxes and stuff everywhere. I was just like, oh my. I don't know why people think it's appropriate and acceptable to just act a fool in the dollar store, but it upsets me. <laughs> People were like pawing through like candy. I it's was like, like it's Black down, Friday. Everybody. Anytime I'm in that store, I'm like, we are adult humans. Like, right. can we act like it, please? <laughs> I mostly what go is... to the Dollar Tree. They've got some really good plant stuff. They also have really good glassware. They do. Actually, our wine glass and our rocks yes. glass are both from, and our pitcher are all from the Dollar Tree. I like to make apothecary bottles and stuff for like Halloween decorations and shit. I always get them 
I save bottles throughout the year, but I always buy a shit ton at Dollar General you can't or beat Dollar a Store for that. Dollar twenty five, girl. No. So we've got our little bunnies. What you're gonna want to do is just kind of lop them off right at the ear level. She brings out these two bunnies. <laughs> And sets them up on our staging area. And my boyfriend's sitting in the living room and he doesn't notice it for like five or ten minutes. He really and he looks up and he's like, the fuck you do to the bunnies? Aww, I had to make them shot glasses. I know. No, I like <laughs> They I like look it. adorable, They though. do. Okay, so not only can you eat them afterwards, but they work perfectly to hold the shot. They really do. The recipe that I found initially called for Godiva chocolate liqueur, but... Though I know the white chocolate has been discontinued, but I don't think the actual chocolate liqueur exists anywhere. Correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah. I don't know if it's discontinued or just has fallen off the face of the earth well, or what. Well, this isn't the first time that you've tried to look for it, for right. the podcast even. Right. So I was like, I'm going to improvise. Um, I used um, whipped vodka, Pinnacle. You know it's our favorite. So good. This is to make two shots. Or if you have small bunnies, like we did three shots, mm -hmm. um, it's two ounces of the whipped pinnacle vodka. We used one ounce of Irish cream liqueur. You could use Bailey's, but Bailey's mm. is hella expensive. Oh, yeah. Well, you're paying for the brand name. So I used Ryan's. <laughs> Tastes just as good when you're it mixing it up, honestly. Sure does. Um, and then I used one ounce of cream to cocoa. Light or dark would work, but we're using dark because that's what we had on hand. Mm -hmm. It's chocolate. Okay, great. Right. Put it all in your shaker. Shake it up so it's chilly. I used a tiny little funnel to add my shot to the hollow bunny. I got collapsible silicone ones from Amazon that I love for kitchen stuff. It worked really good for this instance. Mm -hmm. And then once the shot is in the bunny, you just drink it immediately. It's good. It's really it's good. It's also really good. It's actually pretty. I thought you would have to drink it immediately thinking maybe like the cheap bunny would disintegrate it's or something. It's holding up very well. It actually infused it, I think, with a little more chocolate flavor than I, I was would expecting. So. Well, because we didn't realize that we would each get two shots out of it. Mm -hmm. So we took our first ones as normal, like after we got done Recording shooting like everything. the reel and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> and then... <laughs> We went and got Chinese food, mm -hmm. so that was good. So good. And then I'm just sipping on my second shot because it is it is strengthy. Not gonna lie, and I do have to read, well, you know, yeah. words and stuff. So <laughs> they're very good, though. I would highly recommend it. And if anybody yeah. has any leads on Godiva, let me know. Yeah, because now really I need curious. it. It's very good. I, I know for a fact the white chocolate was discontinued because Melissa and Kira both love it, and it's. Mm. I yeah. think Bud bought them the last bottle that New York State had <laughs> oh, no. and brought it over state lines. But, like, I, I didn't see even a spot for it at the liquor store, so. Oh, sadness. Who knows? I know, right? Mm. 10 out of 10 would recommend both of these beverages. Yeah. And now I have chocolate, which is also good. Right? Mm -hmm. So not only is it a shot glass, it's also a snack for later. It's a treat see? all the way around. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Deep breath, guys. The way we're going to break things down for you is as follows. So first up will be the individual background information on Lawrence and Roy. They were both career criminals long before they crossed paths, so we're going to get into all of that. And additionally, we're going to talk about how they met, how they planned and prepared to do what they did in the first couple of murders. Now, this case is going to be split into two parts. It's a lot. 
guys. <laughs> it It's a lot of information to go through, and it's also just a lot to have to talk about and listen to. And like I said, while it's interesting, it's just – this was a tough one. I am generally pretty well desensitized to true crime by this point, but right. there's some cases here and there. that, And we've already done this a time or two that just kind of get to me, and this is one of those. I'm really intrigued by the fact that two people were so very much on the same horrible, awful yeah. page, I think is what gets me. And managed to find each other. And mm-hmm. the way they managed to find each other, too, it's like a really sick kismet kind of situation. It, it really... So we're gonna we're gonna get into all of it. Handle all of that this week, and then next week we're gonna wrap up the murders, and we're gonna dive into the investigation, the trials, and you know all the things that entails, which is also a lot. <laughs> hence, hence the two parter. We're two. hitting you with the two parter. <laughs> so we're gonna start here today with Lawrence Sigmund Bittaker. He was actually born in Pittsburgh, PA, on September twenty seventh, nineteen forty. His biological parents did not want to have children, so, needless to say, Lawrence was a very unwelcome surprise. They did the right thing and put him up for adoption, which is where Mr. and Mrs. George Bittaker entered the scene. They adopted Lawrence while he was an infant. The Bittaker family had to move around a lot when Lawrence was a kid due to his father working in the aviation industry. This lifestyle as is tradition, often (laughs) leads to kids having a hard time making and or keeping friends. They tend to heavily rely on familial connections to fill that void. According to Lawrence's later recounting of his childhood, he did not receive any of what he needed from his parents other than the basics. (laughs) Right. Now, Lawrence began shoplifting at a very young age. He was 12 when he was arrested for the first time, which is basically like still a baby. (sighs) So, over the course of the next four years, he managed to rack up quite the criminal record. It was a lot of petty theft, which landed him on the radar of the local juvenile authorities quite often. If you were to ask Lawrence, he did these things because he wanted to make up for the lack of love given to him by his parents. We've all heard that story before. Right. And there there just isn't much out there regarding whether that statement is true or not. I feel that it's more likely... That he was bored and he was looking for shit to do, something to be challenged by, because he was really fucking smart. He had an IQ of 138. The last time we saw that was Ed Kemper. Mm, that guy. Mm-hmm. If you don't know, go back and listen, because he too is a whole chestnut. He's, he's something. <laughs> he's a whor- whole horrible onion full he of is awfulness. A horrible, mm-hmm. horrible onion. As they all are. Always. So, my theory kind of comes from the fact that Lawrence didn't enjoy school. He found it to be tedious and he dropped out when he was in high school, which was 1957. I think he was like, what, that makes him 17, 17. if I remember. And that's kind of like where my theory came from because I... I don't know. I'm not to, I'm not saying that his parents couldn't possibly have been awful, but I don't know. It just doesn't fit to me. I feel as though if people are adopting children, it's because they want children. Yeah. In most I mean, instances. Yeah, it for sure. I mean, I'm I'm sure there's exceptions to ever to that rule just oh, like everything sure. else. But there's nothing at least in this situation we have to go based off of the research that we found and nothing popped up. So, I don't know. 
Eventually, I feel as though you'll find out why. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. So by this point in his life, the Bittakers were residing in California as a family. Within a year of Lawrence leaving school, he was arrested yet again. This time it was a bit more serious, though. The charges were for car theft, committing a hit and run, and evading arrest. All not great. No. <laughs> not small things. No. So Lawrence was remanded to the California Youth Authority and remained there until he turned 18, at which point he was just unleashed back onto society. (laughs) Unfortunately for him, his parents just up and moved away, leaving their son behind. Literally no forwarding address, do not pass go, do -hmm. not collect $200. The last time that he saw them before he was incarcerated was in fact the last time he would ever see them so i mean it begs the question right was it because they were neglectful you know borderline abusive parents or did they they just have it up to their eyeballs absolutely yeah terrified slash over their son's behavior i don't know we we don't know that's like the one thing in this case that we don't know all we have is lawrence's recollections and as you'll see we cannot 100 percent trust yeah those take all of that with several gigantic grains of grain of salt. Of salt. Like you're doing a shot of tequila type status. <laughs> like, whoa. Yeah. Uh, so it took very little time for Lawrence to be arrested again. You guys are going to see a, a pattern emerge here. I don't here. know if you're getting it yet. If you haven't but, already. Mm-hmm. Soon after his parole from the California Youth Authority, he was caught transporting a stolen vehicle across state lines. Bad. He just kept progressing. It just even if it was just a little bit every time he committed a crime, it, he like upped the ante every mm-hmm. single time. In August of 1959, he was tried and sentenced to an 18-month imprisonment. This was to be served at the Oklahoma State Reformatory, but he was later transferred to a medical center for federal prisoners in Springfield, Missouri. So, yet again... He is released the following year and immediately gets back into his life of crime. His next arrest took place in L.A., this time for robbery. In May of 1961, he was sentenced to 15 years. During this bout of incarceration, he was seen by a psychiatrist seemingly for the very first time in his whole entire life. (laughs) Lawrence was characterized as a highly manipulative person who had a considerable amount of concealed hostility, with air quotes. Despite this information, Lawrence was granted parole in 1963, which, if you're doing the math, means he only served two out of his 15 years before being released. When I was reading Suze's research, (laughs) there were so many emojis. Mm. Disappointed ones, angry ones, sad ones. I just always feel like I know California had a lot going on in this time frame. In the 70s. But there are so many people that I'm like, man, if they just maybe would have served their whole sentence just once. Right. Maybe perhaps somebody's life could have been saved. It does seem absolutely baffling that this happens so many times that you have people who are just blatantly and brazenly committing offense after offense and they're getting more and more like aggressive or, you know, violent, violent or, or just doing bigger and badder crimes, what have I you. Like bigger and badder because <laughs> seriously, like the escalation is like ridiculous. It's, and at, at some point, like, dear Lord, just lock him up. 
Right, right. Especially when you have him several times. <laughs> because don't worry, guys. He was thrown back in jail the next year. I find this shocking. Right? Sunny shook. <laughs> in October of 64, he was caught violating his parole. We don't know what it was specifically that landed his ass back in prison. What we do know is that this jail stint lasted a couple of years, during which he was examined two more times by two different independent psychiatrists. Both came back with the same diagnosis. Lawrence was a borderline psychopath. According to the psychiatrist, he was highly manipulative and unable to acknowledge the consequences of his actions. Check and check. It was also noted that he explained to one of them that his criminal activities gave him a feeling of self-importance. Oh, no. Yeah. It's a horrible Like, he just admitted that. He was like, this is exactly why. And they were like, sounds great. <laughs> Lawrence was insistent that he had an inability to resist committing crimes due to his upbringing and the environment in which he was raised. He literally tells them that he has an inability to resist committing crimes. He literally told them, I will not stop. I can't stop. I can't. I won't stop. Can't. (laughs) Who's he? Miley Cyrus? Oh, bye. (laughs) I just, it's just, it's just mind-blowing to me that he literally was like, yeah, this is the deal. And they were like, you know what? Cool. So, again, you know, we don't actually see anything that confirms or denies that he did, in fact, get raised in an environment that was less than satisfactory. Yeah. <laughs> Generally speaking, the thing is, the thing that makes me still think that that's probably not the case is because he got diagnosed as a borderline psychopath. And generally speaking, psychopathy is chiefly a genetic or inherited condition, notably related to the underdevelopment of parts of the brain responsible for emotional regulation and impulse control. Now, that doesn't mean that environmental factors don't play a role in the development of psychopathy. But to put it simply, psychopaths are born, sociopaths are made. And Lawrence was called a psychopath, or at least a borderline one, which was really confusing when I tried to look up what that was. It seems like it's like a cross between borderline personality and, and like, it, it seemed as if it was a cluster of traits. Like a hybrid version of horrible? I mean, when you break down all of the personality traits, because I find them so fascinating, especially, like, I've had several people in my life that have definitely fit into those categories, so I... I just like to learn about it. And all the personality traits are basically like you fit into a subcategory with these specific cluster of traits. It's like all the same traits almost that just get put in different ways. Okay. Kind of. I mean, like, obviously, I'm not a professional. And I, well, that, I'm like, my understanding is what the <laughs> interweb tells yeah, me. But that's I mean, the books I read. That's how I have come to understand it. And so borderline psychopath is basically saying that he has a cluster of traits that kind of fits into... Both categories? Kind of. That's That's how I took it. Even more scary. It was really hard to tell, though. There's a lot of, like, uh, medical science, like, journals and stuff like that. There's a lot of those terms that I then have to Google the term, and then by the time I've gone down that rabbit hole, (laughs) I forget what I even started I was already struggling to get through it (laughs) at this point, so I just had to keep moving. So Lawrence gets prescribed some antipsychotic meds, and a year later, he's set free again. Because of course he is. 
Um, a month after being paroled, however, he did actually have to deal with the hit and run accident from years before. In July of 1967, he was convicted of theft and of leaving the scene of an accident. He is sentenced to five years, but again, he is released without having to actually serve out his entire sentence. Why? Every time, it seems. Well, and then less than a year later, he's arrested for burglary. That occurred in March of 1971. The following October, he was sentenced to serve between six months and 15 years in prison. Allegedly, they took his repeated parole violations into consideration when making this decision. It doesn't appear to have mattered because three years later, he was fucking released. Yet again. Why? What were you doing? Again, any one of these stints could have been up to 15 years in jail, but serving one or two years, I think... For a person like this, just sort of bolstered his confidence. Like, well, well, yeah, I won't really have to do any of time. course, because he literally was like, hey, I'm not going to stop. And they're like, here's some meds. Have a nice day. Good luck. Like, see you later, I guess. And especially, correct me if I'm wrong, but back then, I don't think mental health was like on the forefront of things people were concerned with. What is it for convicts about law enforcement in California in the 70s? I don't know. I have a lot of questions, though. There was <laughs> yeah, right? so much happening in the 70s in yeah, California. Really Maybe were. they just had their hands full. I we mean, should honestly, do like a whole little mini episode of just a list of all the things happening in California where we just in the 70s. List them off yeah. from 1970 to 1979. Yes. <laughs> that would might have to be a two-parter. <laughs> Anyways... So, in 1974, Lawrence finds himself, yet again, in trouble with the law. Only this time, his behavior had escalated, and he was arrested for assault and attempted murder. So, Oh, his behavior escalated? I'm so surprised. I find this shocking. Hmm. Um, things started out sort of as a routine theft situation, uh, if you will. Um, you know, he did like to shoplift. Oh, that um, was his, like, favorite. His go-to. Mm-hmm. Lawrence was trying to steal a steak, but was actually seen by a grocery store employee. So the said employee, a man named Gary Louie, followed Lawrence to the parking lot. To Gary's credit, he didn't outright accuse Lawrence of stealing, didn't get all crazy and buck wild. He just confronted him by asking if he had just maybe forgotten to pay. But that didn't matter, because Lawrence stabbed Gary in the chest luckily just missing his heart, and tried to flee the scene. I say tried because he was restrained by two other grocery store employees. I love it. Good. This is the best part of the story. (laughs) Gary survived, and Lawrence was finally convicted of something serious. It was assault with a deadly weapon. He was sent to serve his sentence at the California Men's Colony in San San Luis Obispo. Yeah. I can't say words like that. I'm pretty... I had Google tell me, and that's what it said, so... I want to say it like Obispo, but I know that's wrong. <laughs> Obispo. Yeah. So, that is where we're going to put a pin in Lawrence for now, and we're going to dig into the other piece of this puzzle. Mm. Roy Lewis Norris. He was born in Greeley, Colorado on February 5th, 1948. He, too, had been born to folks that didn't seem too keen on becoming parents. He was conceived out of wedlock, which was quite a scandal at the time. Like, whoa. Mm-hmm. His parents got married so they can avoid the stigma that came along with having an Ill- 
illegitimate child. And as we know, this is always a grand idea. This always works out super it's well. The, mm-hmm. the right mm-hmm. move. Especially back then. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So perfect. Yep. Can't see anything wrong. No. Uh, so growing up, um, Roy's father worked in a scrapyard and his mother was a drug addicted housewife. So throughout his childhood, he was repeatedly placed in foster families, only occasionally living. I, I don't want to say living. He was occasionally staying with his actual birth parents. None of these foster homes were great environments for a child to grow up in, no matter where he was at. The foster families he lived with were sometimes neglectful. They frequently denied him sufficient food and clothing. And according to Roy, the worst of it all was the sexual abuse he claimed to have suffered from one of the families he stayed with. Yeah. Now again, grain of salt. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, Several mm -hmm. of them, several large ones. All we have to go on is what he told us. So there's that. (sighs) Just so... His sexual deviance began when he was 16. During a time when he was staying with his parents, he visited the home of a female relative. She was in her early 20s. Almost immediately, he began to speak to her in a sexually suggestive manner. She was not okay with this and ordered him to leave her home. The family member reported this behavior to Roy's father, who proceeded to punish his son by beating him. This is why I'm more inclined to believe Roy when he says things about his childhood in these moments, even though he's terrible. Yeah. I I don't excuse. It's not an excuse. There's no way to even begin to try. But nobody should grow up like this either. No, I definitely more so just saying I believe him over I believe Lawrence more than anything. Just an observation there. So Roy was pissed after the beating and he wanted to get out of the house. So he stole his dad's car and he drove into the Rocky Mountains. His intention was to take his own life during this trip. He was going to inject air into one of his arteries, which sounds painfully terrifying. It, mm-hmm. Yeah. Just reading it off the page, I was like, oh, no. I was like, ow. Well, ow. and Oh, no. Well, and also, like, what a... What a choice to make, I guess. I don't know. This was unsuccessful, as obviously we're here talking about him. Right. (laughs) And Roy was later apprehended as a runaway. The police returned him to his parents' house. Upon his return, his parents promptly informed him, as well as his younger sister, that they were no longer welcome nor wanted to be in their home. Hmm. Cool. What? (laughs) I don't understand this, people. Like, uh, well, times were different. <laughs> I say with that they were for face. a while. It seems uh, to be <laughs> questionable now, but I just I don't know. I can't imagine. Yeah, I don't have kids, but I can't imagine. I'm glad that I don't have. I'm glad that I'm glad I don't. I don't, I don't know. Have I'm grateful to, for right? that. Yes, I am happy. One thousand percent. At any rate, a year after this whole debacle, Roy also decided to drop out of school, but he instead decided to join the U.S. Navy. He was stationed in San Diego, California for four years. In 1969, he was deployed to Vietnam like pretty much everybody in his generation. Mm -hmm. Uh, He was there for four months, but he didn't actually see any active combat during his tour. That November, after arriving back in California, Roy was arrested for his first known sexual offense. (laughs) He was arrested for assault with an attempt to commit rape. 
He had attempted to force his way into the car of a woman driving alone. Three months later, while he was out on bail, he attempted to trick a different woman into allowing him to enter her home. She was not having it, thank God, and told him to leave. Roy, as you might guess, did not like that answer, so he instead just tried to break into her home. She called the police, and he was promptly arrested before he could actually harm her in any way. So in this instance, thank goddess. We got yes, away. <laughs> right. She got away. <laughs> Honestly. Roy wasn't only dealing with some legal trouble. He was also having some difficulty when it came to his naval career. After meeting with military psychologists, Roy was diagnosed with schizoid personality disorder, an uncommon condition in which people avoid social activities and consistently shy away from interactions with others. These people also tend to have a limited range of emotional expression. These quote-unquote psychological problems resulted in Roy receiving an, an administrative discharge from the Navy. What? Yeah. So administrative. Which is basically an honorable discharge, right? I, I believe so. That's the way it read to me. Because administrative to me means like it's not for a reason where you went cuckoo or did whatever, even though he actually. But you did. have the potential to do so. But by he all can't means, be good luck, Godspeed. He, he can't be <laughs> out like in combat and shit. No, for sure. So I mean, thank God for that. Mm-hmm. Uh. Anyways, so none of this seemed to slow Roy down at all, because in May of 1970, when he was still out on bail, BT dubs, he actually physically attacked a woman. She was a student that lived on the campus at San Diego State University. He actually stalked her before the attack, and then when he caught up with her, he repeatedly struck her on the back of the head with a rock. When she finally slumped to her knees, he continued the assault on her by beating her head against the sidewalk while kneeling on her lower back. For all of this, he was charged with assault with a deadly weapon. He was subsequently committed to five years at Atascadero State Hospital, which was, or is, I think is, mm-hmm. um, it's an all-male maximum security facility slash forensic institution that houses mentally ill convicts who have been committed to psychiatric facilities by California courts. I looked over the list of, like, notable people. Mm-hmm. There were a couple spree killers, some serial killers, lots of sex offenders, and also Ed Kemper, in case you were curious. I think it's so crazy that there there's such overlapping it's just details. Because a lot of the names, I was like, oh, yeah. Uh huh. Oh. Oh no. This checks out. They were all in one spot. Maybe not at the same time, well, but in I the mean, same time frame. Think about Ed Kemper. He, being at this this very same hospital was where he learned how to protect, like perfect his own like way of going about things. Craft, if you. Will. I didn't want to call it that. That was the word that was on the tip of my tongue, and I was like, I don't want to do it (laughs) but i mean it's true though i mean this is part of the issue that i have even just with like the regular jail system is that you're just putting these really terrible awful violent people together and they're just sharing ideas it was it's like a really terrible scary meeting of the minds i don't like it especially Like, I mean, granted, Roy, we don't know his IQ, and it doesn't appear to have been on the same level as, like, Kemper's, but, like, 
Kemper had an IQ of 130. He was definitely, he manipulated the fucking psychologists and psychiatrists that worked there. Well, and everybody's got to start somewhere. <laughs> Your <Ugh>. face <laughs> when you said that I'm just, just now. Like, She's like, how, did, why did I say these words? Right. <laughs> so at any rate, this is where Roy is originally classified as a mentally disordered sex offender. However, he was released from the facility in 1975. He was given five years of probation and was deemed as an individual that was, quote, no further a danger to others, end quote. I would love to know how this particular doctor felt after everything happened. Because, sir, you were wrong. I know. <laughs> you were incorrect. So wrong. You were, like, the most incorrect a person could be. I don't. Did you get your license taken away? I kind of hope so. Well, again, though, I don't. <sighs> we'll talk about it later, but because they were working yeah. as a pair. Yeah. I'm curious what kind of effect that had each on the other. Yeah. You know? Yeah, that's a very fair point. That's a very fair point. I don't know. It just... Uh... No further a danger to others. And he when has... I read that quote, I if I didn't like my laptop, it right. would have been through the wall. <laughs> Out that, the that was how I felt. <laughs> I was like, "Are you booping? Kidding me?" Well, especially because I'd I'd heard of these yeah. men, but I didn't actually know the depths to which their depravity went. Right. You know what I mean? I knew that it was going to be a like lot. I knew that mm-hmm. I knew that they were serial sex offenders going into it but i didn't know the level of which things happened because as we're talking about this like no danger to others bullshit three months later he attacked another woman so very clearly still on probation yeah (laughs) very clearly a danger to others Others. this time ladies yeah right i mean specifically so this time it was a 27 year old that was walking home from a restaurant in redondo beach Roy offered her a ride on his motorcycle, but she refused. And again, he did not accept this answer. He parked his bike, then grabbed her scarf before twisting it around her neck while informing her, her of his intentions. Roy dragged her into some bushes and proceeded to rape her. The woman, fearing for her life, did not fight back or resist in any way. And after it was over, she reported what happened to police. Strong, strong woman. Law enforcement couldn't find Roy initially. In fact, it took a month. And what happened was the victim actually saw Roy's motorcycle, wrote down the license plate number, and gave it to police. And this is what enabled them to be able to catch up with him. A year later, he was tried, convicted, and sentenced to serve at the California Men's Colony in San Luis Obispo. Oh, you guys, where did we hear that before? Mm. Hmm. We just came around for a circle. See how mm. see how we did that? <laughs> also, I just want to say that Survivor is a very strong lady I, to be doing all that on her own. Not go, only girl. did she report it, but she also basically caught him. kept it together and caught him herself. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I see I, you, Yeah. Mm-hmm. So much love and respect to that lady. <sighs> So back to our horrible story. Um, The facility, the California men's colony, is where Lawrence and Roy actually met for the first time. They began to become acquainted with one another around 1977, about a year after Roy arrived there. 
Lawrence initially thought that Roy was a savvy man that moved contraband and sold drugs. He also assumed that Roy was a part of a motorcycle gang for some reason, maybe because he rode a motorcycle? I mean, And moved drugs? I don't know. stupid. Whatever. (laughs) He's stupid. I I know there is like a hierarchy in places like that. I know motorcycle gangs fall in there somewhere. Somewhere, yeah. Maybe he was saying it. They've got their own like corner of it maybe oh yeah maybe Mm -hmm. i don't know now the two seemed to hit it off and would go on to spend more time together roy was teaching lawrence how to make jewelry (laughs) what lol (laughs) and lawrence would actually save roy from getting his ass kicked also lol by the next year however they were the best of buddies Mm. Over the course of getting to know each other, they shared their respective interests in things like sexual violence and misogyny. Mm. During one conversation, Roy told Lawrence that his greatest stimulation came from seeing frightened young women, which is why he had such a lengthy record of committing sexual offenses. He literally said that was why he did what he did. (sighs) What gets me about these guys is how capable of introspection they are they're so aware of what they're doing and why it's wrong and yet what their impulses are behind it yet they they, just keep doing they just don't want to fight and that's part of the psychopathy i I would assume like you don't resist your impulse to do terrible things because you don't care about the other people in the equation one, I don't, I guess the interesting part for me is Lawrence never escalated into sexual violence until he met Roy. Right. Or yeah. like after the fact. No, exactly. So I'm like, Ugh. yeah, because Lawrence didn't have, he wasn't known to be a rapist. He had no prior record, at least that we know of. Right. Of doing that well, at all. I say that like I know everything, well, but I really don't. I feel like it would have been but documented with on how paper, often. On record. Nada. With how often he was in and out of prison. Other than the stabbings and the stealings. And but that that's just it. If he was going to escalate, wouldn't he have? I, I mean, I mean, it is possible he got put into jail at the right time to like... All it took was this weird twin flame to light the candle, if you will. Yeah. I don't know. Or something. And, you know, just because he didn't have a record of that kind of thing doesn't mean he wasn't into the idea. He told Roy that if he ever did rape a woman, he would kill her. He didn't want there to be any witnesses to his crime. So, I mean, it seems as if he definitely thought about it. If he had it planned out like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It, or it was just a weird, gross, like, what if conversation. Ugh. This I'm is how... Trying to impress your new friend. Uh, Shudder. I don't like it. I don't like it either. <laughs> And, the, like, the, it's so fucked because this is how they spent their time when they were alone in the jail. Lawrence and Roy would sit and discuss how they planned to one day assault and murder teenage girls once they gained their freedom. And they shared some really sick fantasies and made a promise to find one another after their release. That's such a weird... Ugh. Like, this... this. I can't stop, like, ugh this coming together is the catalyst that like completely changed everything for everybody in the, involved in the story moving forward. Absolutely. So Lawrence is released on October 15th, 1978. He returns to LA. He finds a job working as a skilled machinist, which I didn't even know he could do. 
Um, but he is making nearly a grand a week, which I considered with time and that's, that's crazy. a lot of money. For somebody who just got out of jail too. I mean, like, if it wasn't who it was, I'd be like, good for you. But you, mm-mm. Well, I was like, oh, that's a crap ton of money. That would be a good time to maybe, I don't know, turn your life around Stop or something. committing crimes. <laughs> <laughs> and despite considering himself a loner, Lawrence did become friendly with some of his neighbors. They spoke highly of him, stating that he was a generous and helpful man. They sort of seemed to ignore the fact, though, that this same person was a grown man hanging out with teenagers, which he also provided with beer and weed and a place to hang out. But other than that, he was, he was living, generous and helpful. He was living in a motel, which is where the teenagers hung out. And if this isn't like indicative of his manipulation, I don't know what is. It's so scary. It's terrifying because these so people scary. literally were like, no, he's a really good dude. I was like, wait, what? Like, are we talking about the, the same person? The fact that he had a job made him good? I don't understand. I don't know. I have so many questions. I would question the fact that you were making $1,000 a week and you lived in a roadside motel. Well, that would be... Don't want to leave a trace. One of my top questions I would right? ask. <laughs> Okay, so Roy was released the following January. He ended up moving into his mother's home located in Redondo Beach. He immediately began preying on women and within his first month of parole, rape and abandon a woman in the desert. Not too long after this, he received a letter from his good old buddy and pal, Lawrence. No. <sighs> they link up in late February and reignite their plans to kidnap and assault girls. Now... In order to implement their evil plans, they needed a vehicle. Gotta have wheels. This Mm -hmm. is, like, the sick and twisted version of, like, I don't know, like, a Scooby-Doo episode almost. Like, there's so many, like, phases to this plan and things that they do to, like, prepare. It's just so... It's so methodical. Well, and and there's so much thought being put in at each step. Yes. That I'm already scared. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Absolutely. So Lawrence decided they needed a van specifically. He went out and purchased a 1977 silver gray GMC Vandora, a van that was windowless on one side and had a large sliding door on the passenger side. I found some pictures of what they used to look like. They are terrifying. There's pictures of the actual van. Yep, I'm going to post them for you. It's called a Vandora. Stop it. I know. Like Ventura, but Vandora. When I read read your uh, research... Were you like, it's a typo? I literally did. I was mm-hmm. like, is that really what it is? Nope. It, sh- it, it is. sure mm-hmm. was. <laughs> it's a big, hulking, awful It's literally thing. what we call, like, I mean, when you see one of these now, they're they're not super common anymore, but I'm literally like, that's a kidnap van. Mm-hmm. Like, that's a nefarious person driving that van. Yep. I don't trust, I inherently do not trust any person who owns a vehicle like that. Nope. This is why. <laughs> like, this very... Stories like this have put <laughs> this it in my head that shit. those type of vans are terrifying. Well, it because... The sliding door is what sold Lawrence on this van in particular. He realized that he or Roy could, quote, pull up to a teenage girl real close and not have to open the doors all the way, end quote. Oh, they also nicknamed the van Murder Mac before moving on to the next phase of their plan. So here's phase two, y'all. This (laughs) consisted of Lawrence and Roy practicing 
they knew that they would have to rely on some kind of ruse to get girls into the van to sort of lure them in. So they took four months from February to June to work out their ideas and develop ones that would work. Over that time period, they picked up over 20 hitchhikers and managed to leave all of them untouched. They were simply practice runs. Those lucky girls. What's great, this is just speaking to like the thought behind everything because to me, this shows that they are perfectly capable of controlling their impulses. They just choose not to. You choose not to. Mm -hmm. When it benefits you, you choose not to. Absolutely. I just... Am grossed out by it? Very much so. (laughs) Very, very much so. So additionally, during this time, they were also looking for secluded locations. They found exactly what they were looking for in late April when they stumbled upon an isolated fire road in the San Gabriel Mountains. Lawrence broke open the gate's existing lock and replaced it with one that he had a key for. The last step was to gather their tools They actually wound up creating a toolbox for torture, which included, but was not limited to, plastic tape, pliers, rope, knives, an ice pick, a Polaroid camera, and a tape recorder. According to the book Disguise of Sanity, Serial Mass Murders, Lawrence had a fantasy of building a small town in which he imprisoned kidnapped teen girls where they would remain naked, chained, tortured, and forced into sex acts. If that's not one of the most horrific, yeah. Like how, there's bad. How do you? And there's that? worse. I don't even want to. And then there's know. this. Yeah. I don't even want to know. Well, how so you come up my with thought that. process was it was all that free time he and Roy had. They just like fantasize and to not do anything other than just bounce ideas off of one Mm. another. It was like the world's most disgusting think tank. Yeah. (laughs) I just don't. (sighs) Okay. So we're about to get into the murders that Lawrence and Roy committed together. So we're about to cross into graphic violence territory. So we get it if you want to tune out. Well, and like, here's the thing. Like we mentioned, you know, we try not to, we obviously talk about murder. This is a true crime podcast. It's obviously gory and graphic stuff, but we try to tell it in a way that we can tell you what happened without telling you what happened. There is no real way to do that without leaving out any of the information. And so I just want to let you know that this is going to be more graphic than our usual vibe. So just getting prepared. If you hadn't already put down your snacks, now would be the time to do so is more so what I'm saying. And maybe pick up your drink. Take your shot. Mm -hmm. Take some sips. Yep. Mm -hmm. Maybe get a glass of water. I know I had to get one. (laughs) And buckle up. Their first victim was 16-year-old Lucinda Lynn Schaefer. She was killed on June 24, 1979. She was last seen at a Presbyterian church meeting in Redondo Beach. Lawrence and Roy had just finished the construction of a bed in the back of the van around 11 a.m. that day and went to the beach themselves. They spent the day drinking, smoking grass, and flirting with girls. Ugh. They had no set routine. They just kind of did whatever. They felt like around 7.45 that evening, Roy spotted Lucinda walking down a side street and said to Lawrence, quote, there's a cute little blonde. 
The men tried to entice Lucinda into the van voluntarily. They offered her a ride home and some weed. She said no thank you to both and kept walking. The men drove ahead and parked along a driveway. Roy got out, and when Lucinda passed by, he started talking to her before dragging her into the van and closing the door. Once they had her inside, Lawrence turned the radio to full volume and drove out to the fire road that they had already prepared. During this time, Roy worked on subduing Lucinda. He bound her arms and her legs as well as gagged her with duct tape. She initially screamed, but quickly regained her composure. Lawrence would later recall that she, quote, displayed a magnificent state of self-control and composed acceptance of the conditions of which she had no control. She shed no tears, offered no resistance, and expressed no great concern for her safety. I guess she knew what was coming, end quote. Mm. Asshole. <laughs> Just the fucking worst. When they arrived at their destination, the men took turns raping her. After they were finished, she asked if they had planned to kill her. Roy told her no, but she didn't believe him. She then asked if she could be allowed time to pray before she was killed. She was not given that opportunity. Each man gave a different account of what happened next, and we're going to actually see a lot of this as we go. They would often play the blame game. Mm -hmm. It was always the other one's fault. I didn't do it. It was I only him. did this because of that, but he did the worst thing. Right. I, I only helped because he made me. Right. Or Ugh. I was only interested in this one part of the horrific crime we committed, and he did the other part that was worse. At any rate, after Lucinda made her request, Roy began to manually strangle her. He couldn't stomach the look in her eyes and ran to the front of the van to vomit, which I just don't. It just doesn't fit. I don't understand why or how or, like, where that came from. It just doesn't feel... It doesn't feel correct. No, it doesn't. That's, You're right. Yeah, that's just the... Mm -mm. I don't know. None of it does, though, to be fair. Well, yeah. <laughs> Lawrence then began to uh, manually strangle Lucinda until she collapsed. He then proceeded to twist a wire coat hanger around her neck with a pair of vice grip pliers. You know, it. You made the point you made earlier when you're talking about how they just had nothing but time to fantasize. Like that makes a lot of sense because I was when I was writing this, I was like, how? Like, obviously, I don't understand the impulse to hurt somebody, let alone take their life. But like, how do you make this choice? You well, know what I mean? Like, it's not only violently injuring somebody; you're then taking their life in one of the worst, most intimate ways possible. Like, like you got like <laughs> creative in a very disgusting way, and I just don't. Well, Lawrence did work in a machinist's shop. Oh, mm. Roy was in the navy. Put those two knowledge bases together, and that brings in some kind of like huge. On like Danger, a whole other level cloud of horribleness, you know. That was my thought process. <laughs> I know that makes. I mean, that makes sense. Working it, with tools, you know, you yeah. know, yeah. other uses, I guess. I, I, we don't even want to like, <laughs> like even. I don't think even want to get too close to their brain space. Right. But my thought that he worked as a skilled machinist was like, oh, no, so he does have sense. more knowledge than the average person. Yeah. No, that makes a lot of and tied in with like 
all their time that they had to just fantasize and plan and spitball back and forth. It's just completely terrible. So he did all of that. And then the men wrapped her body in a plastic shower curtain and threw it into a steep canyon of Lawrence's choosing. According to Roy, Lawrence assured him that, quote, animals would eat her up so there wouldn't be any evidence Horrible man. Terrible, terrible. Horrible man. Uh, this brings us to their next victim, who was 18-year-old Andrea Joy Hall. She was killed on July 8th, 1979, only two weeks later. So there's not a whole lot of cooling off here. No. Um, she was hitchhiking along the Pacific Coast Highway when Lawrence and Roy spotted her. They tried to slow down enough to offer her a ride, but they were actually too late. She had already accepted a ride from somebody else. As we've learned previously, these two men didn't take too kindly to being denied what they really wanted. So, they tailed the car that she was in until Andrea was let out in Redondo Beach. Before the men approached her, Roy actually hid in the back of the van, and when Lawrence pulled up, Andrea rightfully assumed that he was alone because he was the only one she saw. Right. He offered her a drink, which she accepted, and then leaned into the back of the van to grab it, which is when Roy grabbed her and worked on subduing her. She put up a fight, but unfortunately Roy was successful in gagging her. Once Roy had her arms and legs bound, the men headed back to the mountains, back to that fire road, There, they again took turns raping Andrea. At one point, however, Roy thought he saw headlights, so he left to investigate. Lawrence wound up dragging Andrea into the bushes until they were pretty sure that the coast was clear. I say pretty sure because... (laughs) They didn't end up finding anything, and Mm -mm. I don't think there was, like, evidence of cars, but... Guilty conscience much? Mm, Projection... (laughs) Roy and Lawrence were, of course, spooked after this, so the obvious answer was to take Andrea further into the mountains. Mm. Lawrence really is a sadistic fuck, and he forced her to walk uphill. She was not allowed clothes for this trip. They stopped long enough for Lawrence to force Andrea to pose for some photos and perform some more sex acts. The men decided to drive Andrea to another location where they repeat literally the same thing she just suffered through. Poor girl. At this point, Roy left to buy some alcohol, which is one of those things that just seems incorrect. Like, it's just one of – it's, like, such a normal errand. Like, I'm going to go buy some beer while you're doing, like, the most horrific things a human being can do. my other question was, did he he walk? Did he take the van and just leave them out in the woods? Like, I – That's – I assumed that's what happened. I'm so concerned. Because <laughs> they were up in the mountains. Where would he walk to go get beer? That's what I'm saying. He had to have left Where them. Where would he drive, though? Would he have to drive off the mountain? Drive up the mountain? Like, I'm very <laughs> Where confused. is this beer store? It's in the 70s. I don't know. I don't know. I yeah. think you could just sell beer wherever back Probably. then. I hope so, but... Well, and this was... I have a lot of questions. What? And this was on the West Coast, so... Yeah. More lax laws even then. Who knows? I don't know. Either way... He left. When he got back, he saw that Lawrence was alone. Not only that, but Lawrence also had two new pictures that depicted the moment Andrea begged for her life. According to Roy, her face depicted an expression of sheer terror. 
Lawrence then informed Ray, or I'm sorry, Roy. I knew that was going to happen at least one time. <laughs> I was waiting for it. I tried to make sure. It happened but... one time in your research, too. And I was like, wait, is that his name? <laughs> Sometimes when I get going in my research, no, I just yeah. start spewing stuff out and autocorrect gets a little buck wild. One, one of the years was corrected to 2979. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, that's not correct. That's not right. But all well, right. And I banged the script out in like, I don't know, a matter of like seven hours in one day. So I'm, ma- I'm surprised there was just the one. Heck yeah. <laughs> We're doing so Lawrence informed Roy that he had told Andrea that he was going to kill her, but wanted her to give him as many reasons as she could as to why she should be allowed to live. So now he's adding emotional and mental torture to An their repertoire. horrible physical torture. When he was done listening, he thrust an ice pick in both of her ears, which went through her brain. Mm-hmm before strangling her and throwing her dead body off of a cliff. And that's where we're going to leave it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's where we're going to leave things. There's three more murders to go over. It's true. Um, and then the trial and a lot of finger pointing and nonsense. Yeah. And that's, that's to me, again, like my normal MO. <laughs> that's the interesting part because... <laughs> It's just interesting to watch how the cookie crumbles for these guys. Oh, for sure. So know that there's a silver lining and um, that unfortunately we have to get through a couple more rough parts of the story. Horrible, awful things. But we wanted to break it up. There was five murders in total and we wanted to break them up kind of so you didn't have to sit through all of it at one time. Well, yeah. And again, as we always say, the psychopathy is like, the interesting part for us well and it's just so crazy to really sit here and kind of like pick apart why and how like these two it always is fascinating to me when two kind of superpowers whether they be for evil or good manage just to find themselves together in this big giant world in the same room in the same time at the yeah same, you know what i mean it's just wild to me yeah and this is just one of those situations where it went a terrible, terrible direction. Definitely sideways. The worst direction <laughs> it could have. <laughs> uh, but at any rate, thank you guys so much for hanging out with us. We appreciate your time and your support so, so very much. Yes, we sure do. Make sure you check out the podcast on social media. Every Friday, we post a sneak peek of what case and cocktail we'll be doing. Uh, we make sure to give you the ingredient list. So if you want to follow along with the recipe and sip the same cocktail as us, you'll know exactly what you need ahead of time. I know I like to be prepared. Yes. I know you guys probably do too. Samesies. We also post a how-to video and the full recipe once the episode is out. Uh, question for any of you guys listening. Would you be interested in having like full actual how-to videos or do you like the reels or do you want both? Let us know. Yeah. We're uh, looking into expanding our repertoire a little mm-hmm. bit and would be cu- we're curious to know what you would care for. We what do you like? know what you think. Hit us up. Yeah. Let us know. Yeah. And you could do that by catching us on Instagram and Facebook. We're at Crime and Spirits Pod. On Twitter, you can find us at Crime Spirits Pod. Personally, we're both on Instagram. I'm at Suze, not Susan. And I'm at Brie underscore not the cheese. If you guys like what we do, please head over to Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating and review. It really helps us out. It gets us out there to more people a little bit more organically. And also, we want to hear from you. We appreciate your feedback. 
We've also got an email in case you would like to recommend any drinks or cases or topics or anything like that. We do actually have some interesting stuff on the books that's yeah. uh, listener supported, if you will. So. Yeah. <laughs> and this is our very first one that we're doing due to a listener request. So proof in the pudding that we will right. listen to you. We do listen. <laughs> we will follow through it's on our true. word. And also... If you're interested in becoming a monthly supporter of our podcast, all you have to do is hit the link in the Smash show notes. It. Bam. <laughs> and so um, we're going to do our corny joke. We I, actually really sort of need it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there was a small part of me that was like, I don't even want to tell a joke. I don't like it. But I'm like, no, we no, need it. No, we sort of have to shake off the heebie-jeebies mm-hmm. this week. So what's green and has wheels? I don't know what. Grass. I lied about the wheels. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I like that one. Because it's like, it's not really a joke. Ha ha. <laughs> I like it. I thought it fit with our theme of no, being, it does. Like, you know, all the things. Tongue in cheek. <laughs> LOL. Well, with that being said, folks, we're going to take our leave. Please make sure that you're out there taking care of yourselves, enjoying your alcoholic beverages responsibly, order some food. Definitely Chinese. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We, we tend highly recommend. <laughs> ten out of ten recommend. Yep. If you are local to Erie and you don't get Hong Kong Chinese food, what are you even doing? Mm-hmm. So good. It's the best one, in my opinion. Slamming. Make sure you guys are drinking a glass of water. I know I forget to do that quite often. Absolutely. We love and appreciate you guys so much, and I hope that you have the very best rest of your day. Bye. Bye.